so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC Podcast, where our goal is to help you think biblically about today's cultural issues. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and on today's episode, we're going to talk about the church and discipleship related to gender and sexuality. We began our gender and sexuality series by examining what the Bible teaches us about these important topics. And as we close out this series with two more episodes, we're going to concentrate on the church and how pastors and leaders can disciple their members to wrestle with and hold fast to God's good design for us. Because gender confusion has disproportionately affected younger generations, we'll spend a lot of time today focusing on discipling those at the forefront of this ideological assault. As we discuss these important topics, you might have additional questions. We'd love to hear from you. Please email us at erlcpodcast at erlc.com and let us know how you're processing this conversation. Joining us on today's episode are several of our former guests. Katie McCoy, the Director of Women's Ministry at Texas Baptist. Stephen and Amy Costello from City on a Hill Church in Boston where Stephen is the lead pastor and Amy is the director for women's discipleship and care, and Christopher Yuan, a professor and the creator of The Holy Sexuality Project. You'll also hear from Dr. Dub Oliver. Dr. Oliver is the president of Union University, a Southern Baptist college. He completed a Bachelor of Science degree in education from Baylor University, a Master of Science degree in educational psychology, and a Doctor of Philosophy in Educational Administration from Texas A&M. Dr. Oliver and his wife, Susie, have one daughter and two grandchildren. Some cultural commentators assert that Christians, and the church as a whole, talk too much about sex. But if anything, many churches don't teach about gender and sexuality, what the Bible says, and how to identify insidious lies, enough. Here are Katie McCoy and Dub Oliver with why it matters that our pastors and leaders intentionally address these issues from a biblical perspective, especially with those who are young. 80% of the LGBTQ community comes from a religious or Christian background. And that means they are in our spheres. These are people coming from our youth groups are coming from our Christian colleges and church camps. And what are we missing in our theological discourse that is causing them to be so swept up by these ideas that gender is purely a psychological concept? So much of it is this overflow of these philosophical ideas that we have been influenced by 
from the time we were young, if you're a millennial, the time that you were young, and we didn't realize just how much we were taking in different ideas that were forming our sense of self and what it means to be human. For our young people, the issues of sexuality are the issues that they're confronted with all the time. They are just bombarded with messages everywhere else, and they need the church to speak to this. And if you're working with youth, you've got to spend time every year talking about issues of sexuality and what the Bible says and giving this positive vision of personhood, of humanity that's biblical, that's this robust biblical anthropology that speaks truth to them and then how to how to live honestly and truthfully. So, you know, one, we need to teach that. Two, we need to help develop in them the virtuous life, just simply that they wouldn't live by lies, that they wouldn't go out into the world and repeat lies, they wouldn't endorse lies, they wouldn't accept lies. And being able to tell the truth from that, knowing that that's gonna cost them. As we've heard, young people in particular are being inundated with false messages about sexuality that aren't going away. So from a purely practical perspective, it's essential that the church addresses it. But this issue is more than practical. It's deeply spiritual and matters greatly from a spiritual warfare perspective. What do we mean by this and how does the example of Jesus instruct us? mission and ministry of Jesus gives us this in just a snapshot, that He had the right anger against everything that was destructive to us as His image bearers. So if it is something that was separating us from God, if it was a deception, if it was something that was destroying who we were, He was vehemently against it, just like a good doctor hates cancer. They hate cancer, they hate disease in an effort to save the patient. And so we have to keep that right perspective. And really the mission and ministry of Jesus gives this to us. And the, the way I try to frame it is Satan hates God. So Satan hates God's image bearers. And he will stop at nothing to convince them that defying their creator and harming themselves is the path to freedom. And so when we are confronting and contradicting these ideas. It isn't just so that we can regain a social sense of having the prevailing cultural idea of humanity. It's so that we will remove the barriers. We will remove the things that are destroying people whom God created in His image and whom God created to know Him. And we will take those things away so that people are no longer obscured and deceived about who they are, where they find meaning, and where they find peace. And when we understand this in terms of people, so many people, especially young people, Gen Z especially, are searching for peace. There's no coincidence here that Gen Z is the first generation to grow up in a post-Christian culture where Christianity is not the dominant cultural idea. They are the generation fraught with gender confusion they are also the generation in which mental health crises are epidemic of anxiety, of depression. It's a national emergency. We should be treating it as such. And you have now our government officials talking about the role of social media on young people and, and how so many young people have anxiety and depression. These things are all linked. If you can imagine 
for a young person being told that your identity, your sense of self is the most grounding, true, authentic thing about you and that you only find it through your feelings. Well, if you have changeable feelings, what does this mean about your identity? You are not anchoring it in anything. That brings so much anxiety. The anxiety of having to pick and choose who you truly are is something that we were not created to have to bear. And so when we see through these spiritual lenses, how these ideas are affecting people. And then we also recognize that at the core of it, like everything else is a spiritual issue. There is a spiritual battle going on for the hearts and souls and minds of the next generation. We are able to both look at an individual who is struggling and have compassion, and then also look at the ideas, look at the initiatives that are aiding and abetting that confusion and respond to it with confrontation. And we owe both to the next generation. We cannot slack on either. We want to recapture the young hearts and minds in our congregations. So how can we begin to meet younger generations in the church where they are and help them think critically about what they believe? Here's Amy Costello with how she approaches these conversations about gender and sexuality in her church community. One of the first questions I ask, and I don't ask it specifically in regards to their story, is who are they surrounded with and who are they listening to? A lot of times you find, even in the church, they are not reading the Word. They are not consuming materials that are encouraging or upbuilding. They are not hanging out in their community group or with their community group or church outside of church, right? They are inundated with the world. And what happens is sometimes you become inundated with other people's voices um, and not the voice of God through others and the encouragement and upbuilding and admonishment of other believers and through the Word itself, which is living and active. But because of the way culture is shaped right now, especially with some of the younger people in our church, um, there's a pressure of the culture to identify with one of these things, even if it's not a desire, or even being named by someone else, letting other people give you your identity. And so I think the listening is key to that because then you're hearing, is this a desire that they feel? Is this something they're being pressured to feel? Is this something that they're being identified by someone else? And then again, pointing them back to their identity in Christ, um, that their identity is found in Him and not in man or in fear of man or in fear of missing out. Discipleship is ongoing. As we listen to young people in the church, find out who they are listening to, and point them to their identity in Christ, there will be many ways we can walk with them. Here's Katie with a few more specific things we can do while seeking to address gender confusion. So the first thing is to keep, uh, in age-appropriate ways, talking about that full theology of humanity, that it includes being a physically embodied person, that our bodies are good, that they reflect our identity as male and female created in the image of God. Another way that we can help young people in the church is to ask very critical questions and point them also to the stories of other people who did the surgeries, did the hormones, did all of the testosterone shots, and they found that their inner sense of distress, that their anxiety, their depression did not go away. They might have had a high after this uh, procedure or treatment that they put their hope in that it was going to take away 
some of the gender dysphoria. They might have had that euphoria right at the beginning, but we're hearing more and more detransitioners say that wore off and my mental health issues were still there. What so many need to realize is that the prevailing approach to therapy today is to agree with the patient's self-perception and to alter the physical body to fit the emotional self. And it's not working. In fact, there are incredibly more progressive nations than ours, like Sweden and Finland and the United Kingdom, that they were on the leading edge. They were on the cutting edge of gender-affirming care, as it's so-called, especially for children. They have backtracked their policies because they're looking around probably a decade later or so and going, this is not helping our young people. This is not helping our young people understand their value, their worth, and that they're still searching for uh, something to make it all make sense. So all of the gender affirming care that's happening in Europe, we've got countries totally reversing course. Yet to be seen though, if the United States will do that. So another thing that parents and pastors, it would be very helpful if they do, is be very well read on uh, the effects of these treatments and how even other nations that were far more progressive than ours have recognized this just isn't working. It's not helping the problem. Because we see the destructive nature of believing lies about gender and sexuality, it can be tempting to focus on fixing people's behavior. But that's not our main aim, nor is behavior change sustainable apart from grasping and believing the truth that sets us free. Here's Stephen Costello with an important reminder about the reality of our sexuality and our ultimate goal as we disciple those within the church. You're not your sexuality. Um, Your sexuality is not the ultimate definer of who you are. You're a person made in the image of God with inherent dignity, value, and worth. Your sexuality is really a signpost pointing toward where the ultimate fulfillment of intimacy and companionship can be had, which is in Jesus. And then I think also trying to cast a vision for the type of culture we can build as a church where those who are denying themselves and following Jesus can find friendship and intimacy and companionship, even if it's not in a romantic way, they're still finding the friendship within the church that's modeled to us by Jesus, who says that he calls us his friends. And if marriage shows the beauty of the gospel, singleness shows the sufficiency of the gospel. And that there is a way, a different way to image the goodness and the beauty of the gospel through singleness that you can't necessarily through marriage. And then, you know, Paul talks about the advantages and the disadvantages of both. Both of these are valid ways to live. And I think if we can recapture a more beautiful vision of singleness, that the ultimate goal is not to get people married. The ultimate goal is to create disciples who follow after Jesus. And then in whatever state they end up in, whether you said faithfulness in marriage or chastity and singleness, they're honoring Christ. And ultimately, we're called to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. And that's going to mean laying down a lot of things. And in the sense of, you know, there are going to be obviously certain desires that every person struggles with in different ways that they're called to lay down and ultimately surrender those to Jesus, trusting that there's a better hope coming from Him, that the longing for all of our desires ultimately are pointing us towards Him. And so I'm going to say, I'll follow after Jesus, but I'll follow after Jesus, but I'm not going to give up X. And that's across the board, not just sexuality. Then there's a real question there of like, am I actually following Jesus? 
As we help our brothers and sisters follow Jesus and surrender their desires to Him, and as we seek to do so ourselves, the process can be full of ups and downs, victories and defeats, freedoms and frustrations. Here's Christopher Yuan with what we should remember when we feel inadequate to help one another honor God with our sexuality. I think one hurdle that pastors and elders and deacons and church leaders sometimes need to get over. And it's sometimes an obstacle that, in essence, we're putting there ourselves. And it's this. And it seems very logical. I hear this a lot. When people come to me and they say, you know, I had this person that came into my office and he, he's been at my church for quite some time. He's a solid believer, but he's sharing with me that he experiences or even she experiences same-sex attractions. And then the pastor or church leader will say, I don't know how to help them. I don't know how to help him or help her. And I ask why. Well, I don't experience that myself. Now, that seems logical because we our own personal experience, we don't know that. So it's very different than we can't understand what they're going through. So we can't minister to them. It seems logical until we actually apply that to other sins. Do we have to lie to help a liar? Do we have to gossip to help a gossiper? Do we have to commit adultery to help an adulterer? Do we have to watch pornography to help struggling with pornography? I think we all know the answer to that. Of course not. Well, then why all of a sudden for this one particular or even we view it as a peculiar sin, we have no idea how to help people. I often tell people this truth. If you know Jesus, if you've had any victory over your sin, you can help another sinner. The enemy will want to immobilize you into thinking you can't help because you don't understand, but we do. When we see that though this sin might seem peculiar or seem different, at the end of the day, it's sin. The root cause is our sin nature. And as pastors and church leaders, we know the answer. The problem is sin. Jesus Christ is the answer. Our job as as ministry leaders is to point sinners to Jesus Christ, not to be the end-all be-all, not to give them all the answers that we all know, but point them to the answer, who is Jesus Christ. When people come to our office and they, these are sinners dealing with their own sin, what they don't need most is an expert. What they do need most is a friend, a Christian brother or sister that can take their hand and say, we're in this together. I'm in the same boat with you. Let's point our lives to Jesus. Together, that's how we're going to be able to disciple, encourage, and walk with one another in holiness in every area of our lives. As the church helps her members cling to Christ in the midst of confusion and invites others to find refuge and freedom in His safe embrace, we'll display His manifold wisdom to realms seen and unseen. The pull toward believing lies about gender and sexuality may be strong, but we know the one in whom those desperate to find peace will ultimately discover the clarity, identity, and hope their hearts long for. Join us next time as we conclude our Gender and Sexuality series. The ERLC Podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. It's produced by Jill Wagner, Lindsay Nicolay, and Elizabeth Bristow. Technical production is provided by Owens Productions.
It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to being back together with you next time.